Welcome to Family Features, a podcast for anyone who wants to experience healthy relationships within their family. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and I'm honored to come alongside you to encourage, educate, and equip you as we focus on the different relationships that make us family. Let's get started and focus on today's feature. Welcome to the Family Features Podcast. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and today we're going to listen to a clip from a marriage conference I did um, in Mesquite, Texas over the 2020 December um, break. So listen in here um, on the three things to focus on here um, to improve your marriage. Blessings to you, and I hope you enjoy. And think about this pause right here. Think about the silence. I'm not, it may be indicative, I don't know, but if I ask you what's gone wrong this year, I probably couldn't stop you. Because we can list what goes wrong so much better than we can list what goes right. We do that in marriage too. It's so easy to figure out, to to give the list of how he or she has not lived up to who they should be or who they said they'd be. It's easy to, to attack, it's easy to hurt, it's easy to blame, it's easy to keep a record of wrongs. It's so difficult to focus on how blessed you are to have that person in your life. What a gift they are. And see, there's a lot of stuff. I, I do a lot of teaching in the area of sexuality and gender and technology now is more coming up more than everything because of pornography and, and all the tech stuff. And I've got more clients on my caseload of teenage boys and all this kind of stuff. It's crazy what's going on. It's also already always been there. What this year has done is, is it has exposed. It's shown us a lot of what's there. That's what trauma does. Trauma exposes. Hard times expose. A good marriage is easy to be good during good times. It's not so easy when things are tense, stressful, when money's tight, when a relationship is strained, when I wake up every day and... I don't have a good attitude, and I don't, um, like I said earlier, I love you, but don't know if I like you from Tim Hawkins. Yeah, that's hard. How do I stay positive? How do I, and so what I'm going to kind of give you at the end tonight is two things to do every day, every week, every month, and every year. So eight things. Very simple. How do we, how do, we do this well? But one of the things that came up, came to my mind as I was kind of thinking about today and thinking about where we're at, is, um, get to this here, this word here, solitude. And now some of us are like, I don't need any more of this. <laughs> I've been in isolation, like introverts are like, I thought I was an introvert, but I'm not that kind of introvert. I've heard that from so many introverts. It's like, this is killing me. I'm, I need people. I need touch. I need conversation. Yet, this is one of the things in secular research, not even under Christian kind of um, uh, like Richard Foster spiritual disciplines stuff, is saying we're missing this more than ever in our culture. And here's some of the, you know, my fun stuff, the brain research stuff, that when you listen to five podcasts in a row and you don't leave space between those podcasts, you don't remember almost anything. You need time of silence between those for your brain to actually file anything away. But we've turned into a culture of just cons- consumption. We kill time. 
you need time, times of solitude. I had a, a um, counselor when I was in seminary, when I was in grad school, and I did my group counseling part of my training, and then at the end, I was recommended for more therapy. <laughs> that was not, I didn't realize that was a good thing, or no, it wasn't a good thing. Um, I was quite clueless, and that was the biggest blessing. I ended up with this PhD student who absolutely lit the fire under me. But one of the things he did, he said, um, I challenge you to be in silence for 24 hours. And I realized I couldn't handle being in silence. I had to have, a mu have music on everywhere I went. There's always something, some noise. And then I realized, if I can't be alone with myself, how can I expect to marry someone and then be alone with me? That stopped me in my tracks. Solitude is a critical, I believe, spiritual discipline that we need to actually kind of think through. What is it doing? It is a discipline. It's not something that's easy. What am I doing in this time? How am I setting this time apart? The second word was this one, leisure. Another thing that what we do is we can easily kill time, but we don't necessarily know how to play like games. It's funny, I come into my house sometimes and, and all of our families huddle up into one room and it's like, guys, spread out. This is really annoying. Other times it's like our kids are all spread out and it's like, why are they all spread out? Let's come to the same space. We need that ebb and flow. And boy, has that been stressful for a lot of families. Um, especially when you've got like five Zoom calls in three rooms and you're having a hard time um, managing all of those. It's, that's been a big challenge. We need to learn to play again. My question is going to is really, what's going to be different next year? I don't know when things are going to change. How are you going to anticipate when, when life changes at least a little? What would you do different in your leisure? What would you invest in? What's important to you? I don't play very well. And one of the things that I learned is I... I love doing Boy Scouts with my boys because it forces me to go camping. And every Friday that we go camping, I do not want to go. <laughs> and I'm so thankful when we get there that night and we're sitting around the fire. Because I'm with these men, these dads, that invest in me and I invest in them. And we invest in those kids, those boys. I'm so thankful for them. I never want to go on that Friday. I'm thankful that I'm kind of committed to it. If you're a tennis player... It's hard to go play by yourself. It's hard to stay committed to that. When you're meeting someone to play, you've got this commitment that changes that habit. Leisure needs some of that. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but how do you do leisure in a way that actually brings out the best of you and the best of them? Remember, before I, years before I was married, I would meet this pastor. Um, every, I think it was about once a week, and we'd play racquetball. He liked playing with me because he could beat me, like, just, he could destroy me in the racquetball court. And one day we decided to meet and play tennis, and I beat him, and I saw a different side of him. <laughs> I realized I probably shouldn't have tried to beat him because he had an ego problem there, and it was actually kind of a fun experiment, and so I kind of backed off a little. And, um, but that commitment kept it going, and as soon as that commitment stopped, which is where we're at, a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of the commitments we had stopped. So now, what are you going to do different? What I saw back in March, April, May, I was actually like, I am so thankful that these families have been hijacked from their life 
to where they can't do all the crazy things that we're committed to, because I believe we're way overcommitted. What are we going to add back? Or when things change back, you know, kind of maybe go back to some, some semblance of normal, are we going to add back everything that we were committed to and more? And then this third one is conversation. Some people haven't had a good conversation in a long time. They haven't listened and they haven't been listened to. We think that conversations can be done through text or other means. No. Actually, most couples that I work with, one of the first rules with the couple is you cannot text each other. And usually it's because they're misreading what's being said and they're actually getting angry over how it's being said. But it's a good tool, but it's just a tool. How do you and who are you engaging with to have conversation? And so these three things, solitude and leisure and conversation, I believe we've lost them. Unless you're in a good marriage, a good family, and a part of a solid church. And the thing is, is if you look at a lot of other research out there and some of all these you know, big, big brain people that do all the research, it's so interesting to see how they point to the power of community as to what we need. What you and I need. It's, li- it's like lifeblood for us going forward. It doesn't matter what age. I've, Kelly and I have reminisced and talked for years about just even the, the little bit of time we were here in um, the Dallas area at, at this church. and All the years, all my years growing up, all the years in ministry, all the things that I've done, I've never been a part of a small group that was as good as the one I was at here at the Riley's house. Now, didn't realize on my way to that first time at their house that I was going to get ambushed by Ken and Ginger, checking out who this girl was dating, their daughter was dating. <laughs> but that was a shocker. I've never, never seen that because so many churches segregate everything into ages. And in that room were 60s, 70s, and teens and everyone, everything in between, which is amazing. <clears throat> how we do life, how we have conversation, how we play, and how we actually understand and, and decide to consume, if you will, or to do solitude is really going to be important. Your marriage, number one, then your family, and then the church. This is, again, the critical pieces of this whole. Thank you for tuning in to the Family Features Podcast. It has been an honor to serve. Find out more about Dr. Gilbert and his resources for you and your family's growth and success at HealingLives.com. And if you think you could use some support along the way, be sure to book that call at bookdrg.com. And one more thing, if you found this helpful, please share this podcast with others so that we can change the world together.